Good morning. I'd like to say Happy New Year, but that would be tomorrow. It's not the holiday until tomorrow. New Year's Eve is not a holiday, but um, thank you. I feel like saying Happy New Year. Uh, like to say thanks for the Cahills coming. That lady said to me how my wife, Effie, has the great privilege of working with me every day, so you could pray for her. And uh, we're in First Timothy chapter 4. Um, you know, in it's NFL playoff time. Not that anyone knows, but uh, or at least people like me don't know because it's been a long time since the season doesn't end like four weeks ago. But the point is, I was thinking again, the NFL, you know, August is a brutal month where all the practice happens, where you learn the plays. You do everything as a team so that when game time comes, you are ready and prepared to execute what you want to do. I feel a little bit like that's what First Timothy is. We had a break there for Christmas time, but the first three chapters are kind of like the game plan. We talked about deacons and elders and roles and keeping the sound doctrine and not false teaching, and it's kind of set up a foundation. Well, chapter four is kind of like, all right, and this is what's going to happen. This is kind of like game time. So I'm going to start to read. We got the whole chapter today. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wise fables. Exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Lord Jesus, thank you for another time around your word. Thank you that it is applicable and it still changes lives to this day. Lord, thank you uh, for this fellowship. Pray again, Lord, as we're kind of wrapping up 2023, that your spirit would do a work, that we would grow closer to you, that our love for you would increase, that uh, we would put away sin, and that uh, we would just be more willing, with your help, to actually submit to you. And so thank you that you have proven yourself over and over, that you are absolutely worth us giving our lives to you. And for some reason we still don't, but Lord, we pray that you would help us to do it. Be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. There is a lot in this chapter, I'll tell you right now, 
uh, even reading through it, um, we're not going to, uh, you know, cover it all, as we've said before. But <clears throat> I broke it into three parts. The opposition uh, is verses 1 through 5. There's no innocent bystanders in the opposition. That's 6 through 11. And then how to win against the opposition. So the opposition, here's what happens in church. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Whew, it's a big start. It's a big start. Um, listen, I, it's, it is simple as this. Uh, once we've been told how to conduct ourselves in the house of God, and, and trust me, more stuff's coming, there's just a truth to that we have to realize that church doctrine and even your own personal lives will be attacked. It seems to be something that needs to be said more and more, that somehow um, Christianity is getting this, again, into this kind of thing of like everything will work out and everything will be fine if you become a Christian when there's so many verses and so much scripture that says that's just not true. Um, and in fact, here it says in latter times, it doesn't necessarily mean the end of times, it just means later on, like, Later on in the future, this will definitely happen. Some will depart from the faith. And the reason sometimes that can be um, something good for us to hear is, is simple, right? It's Branford Bible Chapel's job to teach sound doctrine, not to keep people here. I want to say that again. It's Branford Bible Chapel's job to teach sound doctrine. There's a lot more Branford Bible Chapel should do. It's not our job to necessarily keep people here, meaning this. I, we have been praying for a long time. I hope a lot of people get saved. I hope the, the place is packed on Sundays. But we have been told there will be people that reject the faith. It's called apostasy. Okay, there will be people that might seem like they are saved, that uh, you know, even are involved in church and things like that, and they will leave the faith. That's part of what happens. Okay, that's part of what happens. In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord talked a little bit about this, and I don't want to confuse, like he said this about the end times. So remember, it's not necessarily talking about that here in this chapter. But Matthew 24, verses, and starting verse 9, this is Jesus speaking, he says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world that is witness to all nations. And then the end will come. Okay? Again, not the, the nicest uh, <laughs> thing to start off on a Sunday morning. But there's reality to this. There is a reality that sometimes we need to grip. You know, it's hard to live the Christian walk. It's hard to fully give yourself to the Lord and to be committed to things of the Lord, even though it should not be, because he has proven himself over and over again. But these are the things that, that happen, okay? These are the things that happen. There's been some stats right now, again, and there's tons of debate on why, but they say 75% of youth who grew up in a Christian home will leave the faith. Now, again, there's a lot of debate there of why, things like that. I'm just telling you that here in Timothy, the, the, the punchline of what I'm trying to say is when it talks about taking heed to sound doctrine, you cannot value that enough. 
You cannot value enough what it means to actually teach the word and to actually describe what it is and to go buy this Bible for your life. You attach yourself to anything else and you have problems coming. You really do. Okay? And so, even in that, when we talk about doctrine and teaching, um, what doctrine is challenged or how it'll be challenged, it says here, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Okay, now I don't know what the last time you thought maybe you were introduced to doctrines of demons. It's a little, again, it's not a nice thing to really talk about. But at the same time, it's real. Do demons have kind of their MO, what they want to teach, what they want to say to you? Sure. We've talked about Satan. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. Constantly opposing God's truth. Constantly saying, did God really say that? And the people that work for him are constantly saying the same things. Did God really say that? Do you really have to obey? It doesn't seem like you should. We have to be aware of that stuff, guys. That's why the Bible says don't be friends of the world. You know, the world has a whole teaching. If they don't know the Lord, it's not the right one. It's just not the right one. Remember how Satan tempted the Lord? He tried to, um, in those three areas, lust of the flesh, uh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's what Satan did with the Lord Jesus. And the Lord obviously did not succumb to any of that. Okay? There was... Um, a quote here I wanted to read from Screwtape Letters. Remember, Screwtape Letters is uh, an, an amazing book. It's all fiction, but it's uh, a demon kind of training a demon. And you really get an interesting look at spiritual warfare. Now, again, it's, it's fiction, but here's one of the quotes um, from that book. Uh, the, again, the uncle is teaching the younger one, whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds in reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Okay, so I want to say that again. It's funny how mortals picture us, talking about demons, as putting things into their minds. Like they put these deep evil thoughts in our minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit about this as we go down this chapter. If you're going to sit there and think that you're just going to not be active and things are going to be okay in your faith. You're completely wrong. <laughs> You're completely wrong. Okay, so let's just talk about some of the simple ones that were here in these couple verses here. Um, some of the doctrine of demons here is that they should abstain from marriage and food. Okay, and there's different ways um, to even look at this. I think historically it might have been one of those things that during this time there was those who worship spirits and things like that, and they felt like you could have a better relationship with God if you weren't married. If you weren't married, you know, you sacrificed and you were just all by yourself, you could definitely be closer to God. Or foods, my goodness, you know, if you kill yourself in, in, uh, by not eating certain foods, not like literally kill itself, but, you know, you restrict yourself a lot from certain foods, you would be closer maybe to the spirits and, and all of that stuff. Okay, that's some of the historical context of this. But I'll tell you this too, is there seems to be this interesting line where we constantly think that us putting away certain pleasures that God has deemed good, and we think that somehow matures us spiritually. Hey, if I don't get married, I will definitely be closer to God. 
Well, that's definitely not true. Okay? Um, and it, there is verses. Like, remember when Paul says, hey, maybe it's better not to marry because you don't have so many things to basically think about. I'm giving you James Clifford's interpretation. But listen, to forbid it. Why would they forbid marriage? Such a great institution. Why would they say, don't get married? You're not allowed to get married so you can get closer to God. It is, again, the epitome of what demons kind of do. You can kind of make up your own way to get close to God by your own self-sacrifice, by your own works, things like this. Don't do it God's way. You can figure out how to be close to God. And that's kind of the same thing here with food. And there's a lot of times Christians will try to do this. I want to grow in my faith so I will sacrifice some good things. You have to be very careful with that. Okay, because as we go down in this text, it says for every creature, a better word for that in verse four, every creation of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. It is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. How do we how do we work this out? If God has deemed it good, which he has marriage in Hebrews 11, he said everything's clean to eat. I think it's in Acts 11. If God has deemed these things good, who are we to say, no, you can't do it? That you are literally going against what God has called and declared good. In your thought of, I'm trying to spiritually get more mature. Now, we obviously struggle sometimes with eating too much or partaking too much in pleasure. How do you, how do you find the line? How do you make sure? I don't know. You know, food is always an easy one for me. So I thought of myself, you know, going up to the counter at a Christmas party, right? And it talks about giving thanks here. Does God say I can eat that food? Sure. Sure. Well, if I go up the third time and the fourth time and the fifth time, maybe for some of that beautiful food, and even though I'm completely full, my stomach starts to hurt, I go up a sixth time. You know, it's kind of hard to give thanks to God in those situations too. Like, imagine me praying, like, Lord, thank you so much for my sixth helping. As soon as you say that and you realize your stomach's full, the prayer life's probably going to change you a little bit. It's hard to give thanks when you've overindulged. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is kind of the thing we were talking about. But there are those who just want to, boom, forbid it all. You can't touch it. That's just not the way God is. And you have to be careful because sometimes that stuff is actually from demons. Forbidding you things that God has called good. Very interesting. There was a part here, too, about um, the, these those who have walked away from the faith there in verse 2. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Okay? Remember this is that there is a point, and we talked about conscience before here in 1 Timothy. As the Lord leads you to maybe not partake in certain things or to tell you to do certain things, and you just keep putting the Lord off, your conscience can get seared to where you don't even realize you're a hypocrite and a liar, lining yourself up with teachings that are against the Lord. Lining yourself up with teachings that are against the Lord. That's why it's so important that we hold fast to sound doctrine because the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith and some will adhere to some of these teachings. There's no innocent bystanders and start 
in verse 6, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. Old wise fables, profane babblings. Interesting. We would never be influenced by some of these either, right? I thought it'd be funny just to look up some old wives' tales that aren't true. You guys remember this one? If you cross your eyes too long, they'll get stuck that way. I'm so embarrassed to tell you what age I was when I realized that wasn't true. You can't swim after eating. You may drown. You'll cramp up. Not true. I know some of you right now are like, wait a minute. Peeing on a jellyfish thing alleviates the pain. I don't know who came up with this one, but that's for sure not true. Okay. Takes seven years to digest a piece of gum. Bulls hate the color red. You know bulls are colorblind? True story. It's the waving of that thing the matador does that actually gets them all upset. Okay. These are simple things, right? And I'm just, you know, I'm kind of being light with it because... You know, we've heard some of these things. If we heard some of these things and at one point in our life believed them, or at least right now even, might have been like, wait a minute, what? That's not true? What other things have we been taught that we wouldn't even question as not being true? There is a lot of old wives' tales out there. A lot of things people have just made up. And I know this, it sounds crazy, but we're talking just spiritually. The things you have heard about God, or even some of your perceptions about God, make sure you know where those thoughts are coming from. If they're not coming from the Bible, then you shouldn't have them. And this is what I mean by there is no um, innocent bystanders. These things are going to come in and be in our lives, profane and old wise fables. They're going to be there. Okay? And it says, so exercise yourself toward godliness. This is great. It's New Year's Eve. People always talk about getting in shape New Year's Day. Always talking about setting goals. Always talking about, hey, this year's going to be different. Okay? Well, this is the thing you should exercise yourself towards, godliness. Godliness. If you want real change in your life, exercise yourself towards godliness and it is so basic and so simple and yet we don't do it okay it means to do exercise when it says um exercise yourself toward godliness it means vigorously and there are so many people out there that you could give as an example for exercising vigorously what it takes i chose kim rhodes She's a six-time um, Olympian. She's medaled six times. She's been in six Olympics, okay? She shoots skeet. She's one of the most decorated women athletes of the United States. Skeet shooter. She think, I think she won nationals at age 13. She was in her first Olympics at 17. Around before the Olympics come around, she shoots 700 to 1,000 rounds a day to practice. Shooting 700 to 1,000 rounds a day with a shotgun. Seven days a week. When she was asked about how her practicing went, 
She said, you know, when you walk, you don't say left, right, left, right. You just do it. It's natural. She goes, that's why we practice. We just want it to become natural. Like her shooting the clay pigeon is as natural as walking for her. That's why she continues to shoot almost a thousand rounds a day. That's her exercising vigorously. Now imagine if we apply that to our spiritual lives. Imagine if we exercise that hard after godliness. And this is where it goes into priorities. This stuff is so great. I love, you know, some of this stuff in the Bible is so deep. And it seems like this portion is kind of, it's not that deep. Verse 8, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. You can tell when people want to shape up, they want to get better, so to speak, in life. They start to exercise. They care about their physical uh, body, which is great, but it's not going to profit you a lot. We all know people who are really, really healthy and bad things happened. That, you know, I still remember uh, one of my friends who was so sad, you know, it's like I got out of college, it's like that year, and his father was a runner, and then he just found him dead. He had an aneurysm. Very young, very healthy guy. I'm not saying don't exercise, obviously. I'm just saying that there is a truth to when we prioritize, hey, what's the next step? What do we do? Exercise towards godliness. Exercise towards godliness. Why? It helps in this life and the next. So it's got an eternal weight to it. One said this, It is true these and such like promises do not ascertain to all who live in a godly manner health and wealth and reputation. This promise he's talking about, I'm going to read it again here in verse um, 8. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So that phrase he's, he's talking about, he says, It is true these and such like promises do not ascertain to all who live in a godly manner health and wealth and reputation, but they assure us that true piety and her virtue have a natural tendency to promote our happiness even in this world, and indeed do promote it, not only being attended with the peace of mind, a conscience void of offense, a well-grounded and lively hope of future felicity and communion with God, which is heaven begun on earth, but with protections as dangers to current temptations support and comfort in troubles with an assurance that all things which God may permit to happen to us, even poverty, reproach, affliction, and death shall together work together for our good. That's a lot. When you exercise towards godliness, guys, you cannot lose. <laughs> you cannot lose. Trials and tribulations will come your way, but you will now have peace that you never understood before. You will now have endurance that you never understood before. You now see things the way the Lord sees. In fact, you might even be able to relate more with the Lord. How can we even sit there and imagine what really happened to the Lord on the cross? What it was like to be a man down here, to be ignored by those he created. You go through some of those trials and tribulations, you actually get to see exactly what he went through. And you can get closer to your Savior. But exercise towards godliness is worth it. Is worth it. People want to depart from the faith. There's doctrines of demons out there. There's old wise fables all around. What do we do? We exercise towards godliness. We make sure we know what sound doctrine is. 
We are students of the book. We meditate on it. It changes our lives. That's what we do. If you're not doing those things, you're setting yourself up for failure. Verse 11 would even emphasize this whole point. It says, these things command and teach. This isn't an option. This isn't like Paul telling Timothy, hey, go do a work in that church and try to encourage them to read their Bibles. Just kind of tell them to, you know, pray a little more, meditate, command and teach. You're a believer in the Lord Jesus. These are the things you have to do. You have to. Have to. How do we win against the opposition? Be an example. In verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and life and spirit and faith and impurity. Be an example. Used to be one of my favorite verses until I got old. Be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. There is two to three messages in that verse alone, what it means to be an example in each one of those categories. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's harder to be an example the older you get. So it seems like to me, especially like um, even things with my children, you know, when my kids were little, very easy to be an example. Dad and mom are usually Superman, Superwoman. Uh, they hold on to every single word you say. And if you say something's wrong, they think it's wrong. If you say it's right, they think it's right. Um, being the example later on, as time goes on and they actually know who you are, is totally different. I would like to remind us that uh, being an example is not just for a specific period of time in your life. We're actually called to be an example our whole lives. Our whole lives. We're called to be an example in these areas in conduct, in word, in love, and in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Our whole lives we are called to be this example. And why are we called to be the example? Because there's others looking at our life. <laughs> and we need examples to look at sometimes. For many years, in Monterey, California, there was a pelican's paradise Lots of pelicans in Monterey, California. As a fisherman cleaned their fish, they'd fling all the guts to the pelicans. The birds grew fat, lazy, and contented. Eventually, when all the fishing was kind of depleted, there was no more snacks for the pelicans. When the change came, the pelicans made no effort to fish for themselves. They waded around and grew gaunt and thin. Many starved to death. They had forgotten how to fish for themselves. The problem was solved by importing new pelicans from the south, birds accustomed to foraging for themselves. They were placed among their starving cousins, and the newcomers immediately started catching fish. And before long, the hungry pelicans followed suit, and the famine was ended. I would like to remind us about being an example, is that one, yes, people are looking. Two, we, you might be the only one that could be an example of, of some aspect of God in the assembly. 
And if you're not doing it, you're not showing that example. You are affecting people. It is not always about even the younger. Sometimes the younger have to be the example for the older. And they actually have to show them what uh, exercising towards godliness looks like and a fire to read God's word. And hey, let's pray a little longer. Sometimes the younger people are the ones that are setting that example because the older people got complacent. Be an example. Be an example. It's hard. You know, again, I've said over and over, I was so blessed with, with people in my life. Um, and, and it is not that um, it is not that God is not sufficient all by himself. But I am thankful that there are times in life where something about the Bible didn't seem to make sense or something in my faith didn't need to seem to make sense. And uh, it, it was just it was hard trying to figure it out. And there was people on earth that I could look at and go, wait, now it makes sense. If I see that in their lives, now it, it makes sense and I can apply God's word. Okay, that's very important. And I think that's the way God chooses to do it. He uses the assembly. He uses people in the assembly to be an example to each other if we are exercising towards godliness and that we can have a, you know, God's gracious. Instead of talking to the unseen God, we can also talk to someone face-to-face -face who can give us a life experience, how they dealt with their faith, how they wrestled with the Lord, how the Lord showed himself good, and it helps us to keep going. It's important to be an example. There's evidence of it right here. Paul doesn't sit there and go, hey, they got their scripture, you can leave, it's on them. He's saying, Timothy, be that example. Show them in your daily life how this is played out. One of the ways to be the example, and again, we're skipping over a lot here, especially at the end. It says in verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Okay, so when we come up with our priorities here at Brantford, these should be in there. Reading, reading God's word, exhorting one another, doctrine. Those are priorities because that's what the book says. Till I come, give attention to these things. You want to know what you should focus on in your own spiritual walk? Give attention to reading, exhortation, and to doctrine. Figure those things out. Verse 15 says, meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them that your progress might be evident to all you want to be an example give yourself entirely to those things people will see it yeah, it's not the easiest thing though you know giving yourself entirely to them not that easy finally amongst all of this I, again I've, I've enjoyed first to me the way uh, the flow of this scripture in verse 16 it says take heed to yourself and to the doctrine Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. You know, Timothy could easily sit here and be like, well, you know, I'm kind of doing a work in this church, okay. Um, and then he just starts spitting out and doing everything on his own strength. That's why Paul is saying, hey, one, take heed to yourself, and two, take heed to doctrine. You know, it's very easy for preachers for preachers and those working with the Lord to sometimes not take heed to doctrine. 
You just get in your own groove of what you think is healthy spiritually, and you stay in your lane. You stay in your groove. When God wants to maybe teach you something that you haven't been taught in a while or refresh your mind in something, take heed to doctrine. It is a lifelong commitment. It is a continual idea of this doctrine needs to change my life. I will not arrive any day soon. Take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. If I was to encourage you with this even practically, do you know your strengths and weaknesses as a believer? The Bible says the sin that so easily entangles us. Could you name the sin that easily entangles you? That's called taking heed to yourself. You know what it does. Do you know your strengths? When people say, oh, how can I be used with the Lord? You should know your strengths. You should know how the Lord has used you in the past. Are you a generous person? It's easy for you to be generous. That could be a strength. And so you take heed to yourself. Have I been generous lately? I might have shared this story before. I remember still I was on a field trip, I think two or three years ago. We went to, uh, I don't know, Quasi Park something. I hate roller coasters. I think most of you know that. Okay? And, uh, it, you know, growing up as a teenager, it was always like this pressure, like you're in youth group, you know, there's your friends are going on the roller coaster. I don't want to go on the roller coaster. Oh, just come with us. She won't throw up this time. Okay, okay. And then I throw up. All that nonsense. And I was, I was right there again. I'm sitting there at an amusement park as a grown man. And there's teachers with me going, Clifford, get on the roller coaster with us. It's like I was 13 again. I'm like, ah, I don't want to. I was like, God, it's like, Clifford, it's not even a, a fast roller. Get on the roller coaster with it. And I find myself getting in the line. And I'm suddenly sitting there as a 41-year-old man hating the fact that I'm about to get on a roller coaster, knowing exactly what it'll do to me. I will get off this roller coaster and I will throw up. What, why am I doing this? And be, because these people I work with are like, clever, get on the roller coaster with us. I got to tell you, I got off. I was happy. I left the line. And they were upset. Yeah, sure. They went on the roller coaster. They're like, where'd you go? I said, guys, I told you I'm too old for this. I, th there's no reason I want to sit here and get sick today. It's not fun for me to go on this coaster. It's time for me to mature up. Okay, go have fun on your roller coaster. I'm a man. I'm 41. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. Take heed to yourself. You should know. You should know your strengths and weaknesses. You should know the areas you cannot partake in. You should know that. You should know the things that would be beneficial for your spiritual walk and get involved in them. It's amazing how we never sit there sometimes and just take stock, take a moment to go, who am I and how am I doing spiritually? Who am I and how am I doing? Start of a new year. It's usually when we do these things. But take heed to yourself. And when you do that, take heed to doctrine to make sure that you and you, what you think you're going to do spiritually lines up with the book. Because there's a lot of false doctrine out there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are ever kind and merciful and loving in this process of our faith. Thank you uh, for walking with us in this faith journey. Lord, we just want to make you happy and proud. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all the blessings you have bestowed upon us. Help us to mature in the faith. In your name, amen.